We want to welcome you here uh, in person and online. Yeah, there, there I go. So welcome to each and every one of you here today. As we're uh, receiving our, our offering this morning, I want to share a couple of uh, thoughts as we think about our church family and, and church kind of family business. Um, moving uh, forward in the next couple of weeks as we look ahead, uh, on Sunday, February the 26th, we're having our, uh, our annual general meeting. And uh, it follows the second service, and it will kind of start with a bit of a light lunch in the youth center, and then kind of move into our annual general meeting, where we'll have a few kind of business items and uh, move towards approving uh, the 2023 budget and, and talk about a few ministry kinds of pieces. And so uh, we want to be thinking about that. We want to be praying about that. We want to invite you to, uh, to participate in that. And so you can, you can do that by, by uh, going onto our website and registering online for that. We would need that information so that we can plan accordingly. You can also do that at the info kiosk uh, just in the lobby here. Um, all the materials that, uh, that you will need to come prepared uh, for our AGM are, are available, uh, both in hard copy as well as online. And so if you, if you go to our website uh, and you follow uh, the, the buttons you know, about upcoming events and so forth, that will lead you kind of right through everything that you need to know. Now, in preparation for that, we're, we're doing something a little bit differently uh, this, this year. And I think, I'm hopeful, that it will actually be a, a positive contribution to our AGM. So, in preparation for our AGM, we're going to take next Sunday, the 19th, and then the actual, the 26th day itself, and we want to kind of engage our church family with uh, what God has been doing among us over the past months and past year, as well as looking ahead as to some things that we're kind of trusting him for moving forward. And so that's the focus of next Sunday and the following Sunday, the 26th. Now, after next Sunday, after each worship service in the youth center, you have an opportunity to actually go to the youth center where there's going to be our, our, our board of elders, there's going to be uh, our pastoral leaders, there's going to be some ministry leaders, and they're going to be available for you to actually engage in conversation, to ask questions about ministry that's going on, to ask questions about financials, about budget. Um, it'll be an opportunity, an inter- interactive opportunity to actually deal with some of those questions in advance of our actual AGM so we can try and be as, as effective and productive with our time at our AGM. But hopefully it's also an encouragement so you can actually have conversation with our leaders and with one another. So that's happening next Sunday after each worship service in the youth center for about half an hour. Um, and so in order to do that well, though, you're going to actually have to access yourself to all of the ministry reports, the financials, the budget, and spend time over this next week actually reading through it. I know some of you are super excited about that when I say that, and some of you are going, oh, really? Do I have to? And, uh, well, if you want to be informed, yes, you have to. And if you want to be a part of the business of Westwood Church family, which we would invite you to be. So I would simply encourage you with that as, uh, as we think about these next couple of weeks. Now, for, uh, for today, we want, to, uh, we want to spend the rest of our time kind of concluding this uh, introduction to 2023 uh, and, our, and our focus being on prayer. Uh, we want to conclude it today. And uh, not that we've touched on everything that we could, uh, because we could touch on a lot more. I am learning a whole lot. I am trusting that you are as well. 
Because prayer, if you haven't caught it by now, prayer is all about growing a deeper relationship with God. It is not about ticking off some kind of spiritual box or to-do list in your kind of, you know, your disciplines. It's not about doing more. It's not about doing better or being better. It's about walking in a deep relationship with the God who has created you and who wants to be in a relationship with you. When you think about it in those terms, well, prayer may actually take on a whole different kind of flavor for you. Um, every Monday for the past five weeks, there's been, oh, anywhere from 15 to 20 people who have gathered in the lobby to, to actually um, spend time uh, applying the, the focus of the previous um, Sunday's message and actually working it through together. And that's been really, really good. We want to equip people to actually, you know, be doers of the word. Tomorrow will be our last one. Um, and then every Wednesday morning, uh, if you weren't aware, every Wednesday morning at 8.30 a.m., uh, right here in our prayer room here, there's a group that gathers, and we actually include uh, the Zoom scenario with it. So there's always people on Zoom, and there's always people in person, and we gather for prayer. For me, that is a very, very important and significant time in my week, and, uh, and if that's something that you want to avail yourself to, I would invite you to that. There's also a group that's going to be reading through a book, How to Pray, by, by the, the author's name is Pete Creek. And if you would like to join that group and maybe be a part of that, there's two meeting times, one on, on Sunday, March the uh, 5th, and then one on Sunday, April the 2nd. And it's during the first service, so right at this time. And if you want to be a part of that, please register online. And, uh, and that way we actually kind of know who and how we can prepare for that. And so these are all kinds of ways that we're trying to equip our people, like disciples of Jesus Christ, to grow in their relationship with the God who loves you and who has created you. Last Sunday, um, there were many of you, many of you, who were uh, moved to invite your church family to earnestly pray about something that is really, really important for you. And I simply want to say thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability. I want you to know that every single one of those prayers has been handed out to your church, that the, the, the prayers that you wrote out, they're being prayed for right now, and they will continue to be prayed for by your church family. But as I was thinking about it this past week, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be an encouragement, like a huge encouragement to our church family if we were actually able to hear of answered prayer or even miracles that happened because that was a miracle that happened in Acts chapter 12 we looked at last, uh, last week. Wouldn't it be amazing to hear of answered prayers simply because the church was earnestly prayed? And I, and I think we would all say, of course it would. B- but, but our church family could only know that if when a prayer was answered, the individual who actually submitted that prayer request made it known in some manner, right? That's the only way that the church will actually know. So this is what I want to suggest as I was thinking about last Sunday and then through the week. If you submitted a prayer card last Sunday, whether in person or online, um, if you submitted that prayer request, your prayer request, you need to know, is being prayed for even now. So When you receive an answer or you see that God is at work in some manner in your request, would you be willing to send me an email 
robert at westwoodchurch.bc.ca. Would you send me an email and then let me know so that we could figure some plan out, a way to share it with our church family to give God praise and to encourage the rest of us. Like, that would be so good. That would be so good. Um, Now, I know much more could be said about prayer than what we've talked about these last uh, five weeks or so. Uh, And I'm concluding on a topic that I know very little about, prayer and fasting. Um, My attempts this morning to teach on it are only going to hit, I think, on a few high spots. But I'm going to do my best with what I'm learning, and I will offer what I have with humility and with open hands because... I personally have heard very, very little teaching on fasting, and part of that might be my problem, uh, where I just haven't engaged with that, and I can honestly say that I've never practiced it consistently. Um, The the, the word that we're going to look at, the the passage of Scripture we want to look at today, is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, teaching to his disciples, so Matthew uh, chapter 6. And uh, we're going to take a peek at that and spend most of our time there this morning. Now, possibly the little that I know about prayer and fasting goes back some 30 years um, to the early and mid-1990s when I was a youth pastor, where there was an event called the 30-hour famine. Does anybody remember that? Some hands have gone up. Yes. The 30-hour famine. It was quite quite popular. Now, it was mostly designed for youth groups, where youth groups would would ask for financial pledges from others to raise money for people, children, teenagers, in underdeveloped countries who desperately needed food and clean drinking water. In exchange, youth would, uh, would go 30 hours without eating. Now, if you're a teenager here this morning, or you are a parent of teenagers, how many teenagers can go without food for 30 hours uh, and actually be okay with that? <laughs> right? It's next to impossible. The grumbling, the complaining of how starved they were as they went through the 30 hours. Everybody knew that these young people hadn't eaten and they made it known. So these famines would usually be arranged to start somewhere around Thursday lunch. And then they were completed by, by Friday early evening where there would be this huge youth celebration planned at the church. Now, 30 years ago, I was a young, inexperienced youth pastor. And what do young, inexperienced youth pastors do when they throw a party? Well, they plan this huge party <coughs> and they order pizza for a big pizza party immediately following a 30 hour famine for all the youth who had participated. There's nothing, church, there is nothing like big greasy pizzas in a teenager's empty stomach. Like good times, right? Like imagine that imagery. And it was, it was all well intended, and I trust that God used those meager attempts to, to bless other people. But as I think back, you know, some decades now, I kind of think it fell a little short of Jesus' teaching on prayer and fasting. And I believe that Jesus' teaching in his Sermon on the Mount is the place that we really need to begin as followers of Jesus in this regard when we consider fasting as one part of 
a disciple's prayer life as one part of one's relationship with God. So in Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bibles open there, at one point in, in this sermon, Jesus turns his disciples' attention to three common spiritual practices of the day. And he talks about giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. And then with each one of those spiritual practices, Jesus challenged his disciples with the intentions of the heart when practicing any of these things. So Matthew chapter 6, we'll we'll begin at verse 1. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Then he goes on. And when you pray, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then he goes on and he teaches the disciples the Lord's Prayer, what we've known as the Lord's Prayer. Then jump down to verse 16. When you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, Right away, we notice something very obvious in all three of these spiritual practices that Jesus talks about. Uh, Do you notice that Jesus never said, if you give to the poor, or if you pray, or if you fast? He said to his disciples, he said, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. And of these three practices, the first two, I think, are really, really common for followers of Jesus, or certainly we, we say they are, right? Giving to those in need and to prayer. We talk about it a lot at Westwood, and we seek to practice it. But when we get to the third one, it kind of seems like an alien topic. Certainly it has for me. Yet Jesus assumed that fasting was done just like giving to the poor and just like praying. But what exactly is fasting? And how was it understood by Jesus? And how was it understood throughout the, the overarching story of the Bible? How was it, how was it practiced as we, as we look at the scriptures? Because I think knowing that helps us to then understand a little bit more about what Jesus is saying so that you and I can consider 
what do we make of it and how do we apply it and make it a meaningful part of our prayer life in, in 2023? So, so very simply, fasting is simply refraining from food or water or both for a limited period of time. That's, that's what fasting is. And so if you go to the doctors and you have some tests coming up, um, you, will, you will probably have to practice this for a period of time so that uh, the medical folks who are watching over you can do their tests appropriately and actually uh, make some correct diagnoses. Um, the, the word breakfast actually comes from the concept of fasting, where one breaks the fast from the previous day. Breakfast. Simple, right? Now, as I was preparing for this, I did a bit of an overview of some key moments throughout the scriptures, throughout the entire scriptures, where fasting is highlighted. Here are some of the more prominent ones in the Old Testament. Let's start there. So, in Exodus chapter 24, we have Moses at Mount Sinai, and it's following the covenant renewal with God, where God, you know, invites Moses to the top of Mount Sinai to literally be in his presence. And when you read that story of of Moses in Mount Sinai, and at the, you know, whether you want to call it at the feet of God or in his throne room, like it was a a glorious, glorious event, and and there was 40 days of, of fasting where Moses is in God's overwhelming presence, and, and he's receiving from God direction and instruction for the people of God. Uh, there's an amazing story uh, with, uh, with Ezra and the people of God. You may know this story where Ezra and, his, and the people of God really came to a point in their, their history where they were like, wow, we have completely forgotten what God had shown and revealed to, to Moses, and, and it's just been lost. The books got dusty. We haven't been doing what God has asked us to. They recognize their sin. They recognize what they've been lacking. And they confess it. And fasting is a part of that experience. Uh, Nehemiah, he uh, enters the city of Jerusalem. He sees that it is just completely destroyed. The walls have been busted down. He's overwhelmed with a conviction that something needed to be done. And he goes before the Lord in prayer and fasting. Daniel, maybe one of the more kind of popular uh, characters or stories, uh, when the Babylonian king decrees that it's illegal to pray to anyone else but to him, Daniel says, whoa, I'm going back to God. And in humility, he goes on behalf of the people of God to pray and to fast. Uh, Jonah, he proclaims judgment on the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, were a horrible people. They were a terrible people. And, And they deserved to die for their sin, for what they did. And that was the judgment that was coming upon them unless they turned and repented. And they did. And, it, and, and accompanied with that repentance was a time of fasting where they sought the Lord and confessed everything. Uh, Queen Esther, she urges Mordecai to call on the Jews of Susa to fast for three days so that the people of God might be spared again when some, you know, uh, ego king 
uh, decides to, uh, to make decisions that are completely uh, anti-God. So these are all very significant events. Getting direction from God. The people of God faced with impending judgment. Or they're proclaiming judgment upon uh, others. Repentance of sin. The threat of being wiped out by an enemy nation. Looking to God in, in total desperation. Total neediness. Fasting we see, is practiced. And in all of these, certainly in the Old Testament, the, the God that we worship, the one that we behold, that we were singing about, is exposed as the Lord over all creation. He's exposed as the judge and the ruler, as the giver and the taker of life, as the one before whom we all live and have our being. So viewed this way, When we think about fasting and what it means for a limited period of time, part of what it means is entering into how God views and thinks about sin, about injustice, about violence, about how God's people should respond when God's glory is dishonored, when God's will is thwarted, when other people suffer under oppression, when people experience sickness, tragedy, and death, what happened? The people of God took up the posture of God toward these grievous events through prayer and fasting. Well, that's a little bit of the look of the Old Testament. Then in the New Testament, there's a few really significant places where fasting is clearly emphasized. We have Jesus fasting for 40 days as he prepared for his ministry. And we know that as he was was led uh, into the desert, he was tempted and challenged by the evil one. Uh, Saul, Saul fasted for three days Following his conversion, he personally encounters the living God, Jesus Christ himself. And I suspect that he fasts as a response to encountering Jesus personally. Recognizing who he is before an almighty, all-holy God. Recognizing his sin. Confessing. Worshipping. The church at Antioch, uh, where, where, where we first got the word Christians. The church at Antioch, they fasted and prayed before sending Paul and Barnabas to plant churches. They sought God. They went to him. They were seeking divine direction. And they took the time to look to God to depend fully on him as they went about the mission that Jesus Christ had left for them. And when I think about all these events, whether it's the Old Testament, whether it's the New Testament, in all of these events, I'm guessing that incredible, incredible spiritual growth was experienced. I suspect that there was a drawing close to God, a hearing from him, a gaining direction. For some, it was, it was uh, physical and spiritual salvation. I believe all those things to be true. But I don't believe that all of those benefits that, that I just kind of outlined were necessarily the primary motivation for people to fast. And I think that's an important point. I I wonder if when we think about the scriptures in its entirety, that the focus of fasting is not on what one gets, but it's it's a response to sacred moments in life. A response to who God is and what he is doing and what he wants to do. 
Now, by the time of Jesus, when Jesus is, is meeting with his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount, fasting had become a bi-weekly act of piety for many devout Jews. So when you look through the Old Testament, there's no place in the Old Testament where Israelites were told to fast twice a week. But by the time of Jesus, fasting was done every Monday and Thursday. It was so ingrained that the religious leaders wanted to know, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they wanted to know why Jesus' disciples didn't fast like they did. Why don't, why don't your buddies, like, take time out from food and water like, like we do? Like, we're religious. Why don't you do that? And Jesus' response to his disciples, when you fast, reveals that there is something bigger going on. There's something bigger going on. This, this, this was a spiritual act meant to take on a posture like God's, to feel and to grieve like he did, to wholly trust him for strength and for direction, not relying on self, but on God. That act had become something much less. It all of a sudden had become this, um, this uh, spiritual checklist. Oh, I did that. Got her done every Monday and Thursday. And, and I'm going to even announce it to everyone within earshot. Look at me. Look at me. See how deeply spiritual I am? Look, look how hungry and thirsty I am for God. Can't you see it in my face? Don't you know what I'm doing? Aren't I super spiritual? And Jesus essentially says, I'm not interested in that. That's hypocritical. It misses the point. There's no blessing in that. There's no reward in that other than somebody having to say to you, good for you. You raised a hundred bucks for a good cause. You missed your two meals for Jesus this past week. Good job. Now, don't mishear me. Jesus was not against fasting, not at all. But he was far more concerned about the intentions and the motivations of one's heart when you fast. So how does a disciple of Jesus, wanting to make fasting a part of their prayer practice, apply this? So let me, let me share several ideas that I've borrowed from Scott McKnight, a well-respected theologian. And again, I, I said at the beginning, I'm just hitting on a couple of high spots, and I'm not the expert, because it's a, it's a bit of a new topic for, for me. I, 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 I acknowledge that. But a couple of ideas that I think are really, really helpful when we think about it, and the one I've already kind of alluded to, motive matters to Jesus. Motive matters to Jesus. Um, McKnight, he encourages disciples of Jesus in this way. He says, let's bury our disciplines deeply into the heart to do them for the right reason. To engage with God for the good of others. I, I, I think that's really, really significant. To bury our disciplines deeply into the heart to do them for the right reason. To engage with God for the good of others. Why would one go without food or water or both for a limited period of time? Check your heart. Check your heart. Is it because you're seeking his direction and his voice in your life while shutting out the distractions? 
Is it because you're deeply grieved by your sin? By a tragedy that's befallen another? A troubling event where nothing short of God's hand is going to do? Our total desperation for God to meet you? Face to face? Or is it something less? Like a spiritual box to tick off? Or a spiritualized weight loss program? Check your heart. Motive matters to Jesus. A second helpful piece is fasting is not the same as abstinence. I think this is important. To abstain from something is to cut it out of one's life as a spiritual act of discipline. Fasting is a voluntary choice not to eat or drink at all for a specific period of time in response to something, such as the conflict with the Ukraine and Russia, or the devastation in Turkey and Syria with the thousands of lives lost, and going to him asking for his mercy. You see, to fast and to call on God on these people's behalf aligns with a biblical understanding of prayer and fasting. Um, To go before God through fasting in total desperation, seeking his direction for life, for our church family, aligns with what Scripture teaches. Abstaining from something like chocolate or social media might be a great thing, but it's not fasting. It actually cheapens both the meaning of fasting as well as the significance of sacred, grievous moments in life where God wants to be seen, heard, and experienced. And then a third practical piece here is let's be mindful of the vulnerable. Let's be very careful when we speak of this topic when considering the vulnerable. Teenagers, young adults, those who struggle with body image or eating disorders, those who physically cannot fast because it's dangerous for their health. Jesus urged his followers to fast for the right reasons and not to fast if they had the wrong motives. See, there's there's much to learn about healthy living and eating habits. But fasting is not about losing weight. It's not about following a biblical character like Daniel with a veggie diet. Do you notice that when Jesus preached his sermon, he actually didn't even hold up Moses or Elijah? He didn't even say, look look to me. I, I can do it. I can go long periods of time. Seeking God's face, fasting, praying. Let's let's be very careful that we don't make our own folk heroes of others or ourselves with spiritual disciplines like fasting that we may find very meaningful, yet where Jesus warns us at the end of the day are ultimately matters of the heart. So this morning, in that spirit... I want to I take a little bit of time with a couple who has uh, become a very dear friends with me over, over the last years. And um, this, is not about, this is not about holding them up and showcasing uh, the discipline of fasting, because I know that that's not their heart. Um, but I, I want to invite John and Mary Schlamp to join me at the front 
John and Mary, um, like I said, have become dear friends of myself. Why don't you folks grab a spot up there? And they've become um, prayer warriors and, um, and encouragers in, in our church family, in the ministry. And one of the disciplines that they have uh, chosen to practice has been fasting as a part of their prayer life. And so they've willingly um, said, yeah, we'll, we'll speak a little bit about this. And they do so with great humility um, because I know their hearts. So, so let me, let me, let, let's sort of begin with a bit of a sort of an introductory question. And, and let's start with you, Mary. Like, what prompted you to start fasting as a spiritual discipline, part of your spiritual formation? I think for me, it was a profound um, knowing that I was not up to the task of being a godly mom and a, and a wife. And I wanted to access everything that God could give me to help me with that. And I, like when Jesus was brought to the temple, it says that Anna was there. She was 80 years old, and she spent all her time in prayer and fasting. We obviously can't do that in, in the lives that we... But I just always felt that fasting was something that just um, really accessed my heart and my desire to know God deeper and better. So you started it as a young mother. Yeah, I was, I was in my mid-20s when I started fasting, and, and we had four children under seven, and I was uh, at home most of the time by myself because John was in camp, yeah. and I desperately wanted to be a mom that our children could look up to as uh, someone who cared deeply for their spiritual well-being. Not just then, but for, for all time, as long as they live. So practically, what did that look like with four young children? Because you have to, you're running after them. And yeah. I, I, um, I don't know. It, it just seemed that there was such a desperation there that it wasn't actually that difficult for mm. me to do that. Like, I would go for 10 days, sometimes fasting, and I'm... Um, John at that time didn't share that feeling with me, so I kind of I could do it on my own without um, necessarily show him knowing. But it was just always very much between me and God. And uh, like I grew up in a very large family, fourteen, and uh, my sister, I was, we were the first to come to the Lord fully, like to understand salvation. And so then my sister and I, who came. A little while after I did, uh, we started praying for all the rest of the members in our family, and every one of them professed faith in Christ, whether, you know, that was just something that was profoundly humbling mm -hmm. and, and powerful to me, that it worked. God listens, God hears us, yeah. not just because of fasting, but because our hearts really, really desire Him, yeah. not just what He can give. It, we're not manipulating God to make him do something that we want. What we're, we want his heart yeah. and, and his, his love to be deep enough that it will reach out to others. Yeah. How about you, John? When did, what prompted you? Well, you live with 
with somebody with that deep a conviction for so many years and, the, and, and you see the realities finally after my many, many years of rejecting it. You have to agree with it. And that's, that's where I started watching Mary. And, you know, we, we did read the scripture and there was those verses that are, were pretty obvious. And I finally decided, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, possibly like that, that I had to. I seen the results in her life. I had to. And I did. And I, yeah. So when you look at, when you've looked at the scriptures as a couple, <coughs> what kind of understanding have you come to? And how do you anchor your, your practice of fasting in the scriptures? And, it, well, and its purpose? There's, of course, the scripture verses that you quoted a lot of, like, when you fast, when you pray. It's not if, but when you. Um, this, uh, in Second Chronicles, in, in Psalms, uh, Psalms says, it chastened my soul with fasting. I humbled my soul with fasting. Give yourself to fasting. This one here in Psalm 35 is, I humbled my soul with fasting. I, I cannot promote that verse enough because I will assure you, if you decide to fast, it is a very, very humbling experience. And let me say that the evil one disagrees with that very much. Yeah. Do you want to add anything to that, Mary? About uh, yeah, how you understand the the purpose. I mean, you've spoken to it a little bit. Yeah. I think it just you use the physical hunger as a spiritual drawing closer to Him because there's a continual little bit of a gnawing there that you you know your body would like to eat. But instead of indulging in food, then you go to, go to prayer instead. Right. Okay. So, so you've alluded to it already, John, in terms of the, uh, you, you talked about you saw it in your, your wife and you, you kind of just moved in that direction. Can you share some of your personal experiences with, with fasting? Oh, wow. <laughs> How much time do we have here? <laughs> It's just, I always think of when you go that deep with the Lord, you, how, how am I going to say this? But, for example, I'm going to use that example I shared with you the other day. Mm-hmm. And I, our country of Canada and the way it's going, and I was, I got so upset and I was so disturbed by, by, where, where this country is going. And, and you know what? And the Lord just came and said, John, this is the end times. These things have to happen in order for Jesus to come. And uh, 
Yeah, and that was truth. I could have done it. You see, he is truth when he speaks. And if you want truth, you will identify with that. It is so true. And after that, I, he gave me a peace that there's no explanation for. I've, I've experienced that in the past, but this one was so cool, so kind and gentle of a voice. Corrected me, encouraged me, and yeah, there, that, is, that becomes your life when you're fasting. It's, don't, don't think of it as they all have to be big things. And, and the little ones, I'm, I've started journaling this so I can go back and, and share, share or remind myself of what the Lord has done. Because my memory is very, I have a lot of problems with my memory. And so, but it is every minute of the day, little things, just, he is always there. That, that is my experience with the Lord. And what you were saying is, and you said that fasting is putting away food for a season. But we do that, we do that for a spiritual purpose with a spiritual goal in mind. Mm-hmm. That is what fasting mm-hmm. is. Yeah. 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 Thanks, John. Uh, Mary, maybe <coughs> let's wrap up our, our time here. If if somebody uh, recognizing kind of Jesus uh, was really about the motive, and we talked a lot about that the mm-hmm. other day. Um, but if somebody wanted to practice it or to, to consider it, what would be a first step? They've never done it. Maybe it's, it's a foreign topic. We've talked a little bit about purpose. You know, like mm-hmm. where would they begin? I think begin with fairly small steps, like miss a meal and then dedicate that meal to him and uh, and then yeah, pray more than you would normally because your body is telling you it needs something and so turn to God with that need but it's it doesn't have to be like a 21 day or a 40 day mm-hmm. fast and it is so much our heart and why we are doing this that, that we come to Jesus with it and something I've learned is that fasting is also intensely a healthy thing to do. It's absolutely amazing when you start to research what you know non-Christians have learned about how fasting is enormously beneficial to our body. And, it, and they've even healed a, a lot of really big diseases that would not have, that would not have responded to anything but that. Well, I want to thank you for being here. Yeah, comment? why don't you wrap it up, John? <laughs> one last comment. Just that, and this is what I've learned from, re, from uh, 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 books that I've read, and I believe it. He says, he says uh, we do. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we do not fast because we're asking for something. You know, we, we fast to make that connection with God. That's what fasting really is, is to make that connection with God. And, uh, wow. 
I, I wish we had a lot of time. I could, I could talk. I love this subject. I have, we have, yeah, we, we do fast every week. Monday is our day when we fast. We spend it with the Lord praying and uh, so on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, an, it's an amazing, amazing thing to be able to experience God to the, on that level. Well, I want to thank you, and maybe if you're willing to be available, if people want to chat with you after the service, uh, that would be that would be important. So let me pray for you, and, and worship team, would you come and, and lead us? Lord, we, uh, we acknowledge that so many of these things that we've been talking about um, in this relationship with you can be so challenging. Um, we don't fully understand uh, what to make of all these things. We... We hear about lament, uh, and we're, we're not always quite sure what that looks like. We think about fasting, and many of us just have never even considered it. Uh, we think about resting in you and just the midst of the chaos that's all around us, and, and our lives are so busy and so full that we just, we just don't know how to, how to trust you in it. And so today, Lord, we just invite you to um, lead us to go deeper in you, and uh, to have just a really, really significant uh, relationship with you that takes us to, to a new level. Um, and so we commit, Lord, um, this morning and, and your people to you. And we thank you for your presence with us. And God's people together said, Amen.